Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson. My guest today is Chris Freeman, a former head of operations at Aviva Investors, Nomura Asset Management and Royal London Asset Management, who is now consulting to custodian banks on operational issues. Our subject matter is operational resilience. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, both of us remember the Financial Conduct Authority raising operational resilience as an issue for asset managers who had outsourced to global custodian banks back in 2012, 2013. How did the industry handle the request from the FCA? How did they handle the problem then? Well, I think that the, the, the main thing was looking at the, sort of, say, the operational resilience and, and investigating how how you would move your operational function should there be some form of um, systemic event. So there was a, a lot of focus around that and understanding how companies were set up and how they outsource various aspects of their, their operational function um, and begin to understand that more. If memory serves that the, the, the major asset managers and the major global centers set up a group to respond yes. to this and said, well, actually, it's not, you know, the risks isn't as great as you think it is. Is my memory at fault or is that your memory as well? Yeah, that, that, that's my memory as well. I'd, I'd say that there was, um, yeah, there's, there's two trains of thought on that. I, I think that, that actually there is, there is a risk there. Um, and I think there was a degree, there's a degree of looking at it very much as, at the, how do we mitigate that risk? Um, and then looking at it and saying, well, actually, you know, if you know those those areas that risk won't happen, or or you know, we don't want to go quite as far as uh, the the FCA were were initially proposing, and there was the a middle ground because there's obviously a cost element to all of this. I think there was a bit of a bit of push and pull there as to well, how far do we want to go? But the issue went away for at least a few years. And then we had this fresh consultation by the FCA and the Bank of England, yeah. uh, which closed uh, a couple of months ago now, 1st of October. Yeah. Uh, why did it come back to life and what was new in this consultation? Well, I think, I think to, to the point I made earlier, I, I think there was a degree of, you know, as you say, you know, it, there was a feeling that it wasn't as, as um, severe you know, the impact wouldn't be as severe as, as people made out. But I think that there is a there is a realization um, that actually it could be. Um, and if you look at some of the some of the papers that are written back in, in 2012, you know, the OSCO paper, etc., you know, where they looked at it in quite quite depth as to what systemic events could actually happen. There is there is actually quite a degree of risk there that's, that probably isn't necessarily um, appreciated through through organisations. So I think that you know, it is it is something that will come back because obviously the how the how the industry is is expanded and the complexity of it has got larger. 
Um, and as we're more reliant on systems, therefore you know, the, the impact of, of an event impacting those is much higher. So I, that's why I think it's come back. Um, well, the thing is, the, the ironic thing is, I suppose, that, that during this consultation period, we've actually had a systemic event in the shape of, of COVID-19. Yeah. What did that teach us about operational risk and operational resilience? You know, suddenly you, you've got everybody working at home trying to do crucial uh, back and middle office operations without being in the office. What, what Have you been surprised by how resilient that the system has proved or do you think it's taught us some worrying lessons about what doesn't work well? I think it in in the early stages I think it, it taught us some lessons I think it, it it's actually worked quite well in the longer term I think the the initial experience um, some organizations took longer to get up to speed with their um, remote working um, so a lot of companies had limitations on how many people could work at the same time on systems but on the plus side I think a lot of people got got up to speed with that addressed the their bandwidth um, issues um, bought on additional servers and different ways of doing things so that they that that bandwidth expanded relatively quickly um, but just goes to show you know, that that you can't you can't make assumptions about what's going to happen um, and that you need that backup within within your um, your infrastructure, mm-hmm. or at least the ability to expand expand it. But trades have, have been settled and entitlements have been collected yeah. uh, throughout this this period. So it was a kind of a test of live ammunition of, of people's operational yeah. resilience. And, and on the whole, would you say that people came through it pretty cleanly? Yes, I, I would. I, I I think it was. And and you know to a certain extent, going back to your your point earlier, you know there's a systemic event happens. We've there was a probably small hit, hiccups in in the initial stages, but actually the system resilience has been been pretty impressive. So do we know when this consultation by the bank is going to be published, or the, their findings will be published next year sometime, presumably? Do you have any idea what the yes, time table is? I think they, by the looks of it, um, they're not expect. I couldn't see the exact date of when they're going to publish, but they're not expecting the implementation to be um, until the back end of next year. Uh-huh. So, so there's a reasonable distance. Uh-huh. No. I think they didn't want to put pressure on on companies because of COVID and budget constraints. Yeah. Anyway, we, we we've we've talked a lot so far about purely operational resilience but one of the things I noticed about this latest FCA consultation is that is that there is a, a customer service and investor protection component to it, which wasn't necessarily there back in 2012-13 when the anxiety yeah. was a you know a custodian bank would fall over and then in billions tens of billions of assets would be wandering around the market looking for a home and and uh, obviously that would put investors at risk through the asset management uh, client but there seems to be a much tighter focus this time on uh, customer service investor protection. What would you suggest that regulated firms should be doing about that? So th- there's more around, you know, if you do have that those events, what what is the the ultimate impact to your your client base? And, and this is where I think it, it's probably dropped down a level. 
So rather than looking at the big events, the, the, the smaller events that, that can happen to an organization, they're not necessarily a systemic event for the industry, but more, more an event that happens to an individual company or an individual relationship with an outsourcer that, that impacts that, that client base um, and how that's protected. So, you know, for systems are down for, for a few days or, you know, and that, that's impacting the client's ability to, to process their transactions or pass their transactions or access their cash, then obviously that's, that's a, a big client impact. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's where the driver's coming, coming from. And there's obviously been, been events in the, in the market, which was, was focused more on the, the impact to, to, to clients. Something else that's changed uh, since 2012-2013 is the the senior managers regime has come in, which means that senior managers of these organisations are going to be held personally responsible uh, for these operational shortcomings and face fines and possibly even jail terms. Um, Do do you detect from uh, the the clients that you're talking to that that's really changed attitudes towards this issue? I I think it is. I think it is slowly changing. I don't think it's going to be an overnight change um i think there's a there's probably an education piece to be had um with that senior management regime if you've not worked in operations there isn't necessarily that understanding that it's either working or it's not there's no middle ground you know so it's it's understanding quite how close you are to it not working um so you know, it's again it's that operational resilience piece but quantified so so where are you operationally are you always just getting things done is it always just in time is it only just working is it is it key man dependency that gets you through get gets you through the day and if that person's not around is is that's what's causing you the issue or have you got some some old legacy systems that that fall over on a regular basis so it's it's understanding all of that piece um and what impact that has on your business either with if it's outsourced or or in internal and what impact to your your point just now what impact does that have on your client base mm-hmm. because that's that's probably where you're going to hit the client more than you are going to hit um, problems with with your outsourcer, etc. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I'm a senior manager, I'm I, I probably in recent years been thinking, well, this is great. So I can outsource or offshore my settlement, my custody, my fund accounting, my yeah. my transfer agency, uh, and you're not really thinking necessarily about what happens if the if the transfer agent systems go down or we can't crack a nav on time. Yeah, uh, and one of the things I, I've, I think I'm hearing you say is that in, inside, back inside the regulated firm, there isn't necessarily the experience and knowledge of what to do about that when it actually when it actually happens. And in a way, people have kind of offshored and outsourced their the tacit yeah. knowledge they have to to run operations. Is is that a fair assessment? I think it is. If you if you look at the if you're if you're sitting there and you you've outsourced everything. And it, it may have been outsourced 
five, 10, 15 years ago, and you've outsourced your custody, your, your transfer agency, your fund accounting, your pricing, et cetera. Yeah, that's now all, all at arm's length. Not, and, and then within those organizations, it's within black boxes within those organizations. So actually understanding what your operating model is and what happens if something goes wrong is actually quite difficult for anybody actually to, to, to understand. So for argument's sake, you know, if you're, you're publishing your, your prices from your TA and they're always going out late, well, what's the cause of that? You know, do you, you go and bang on the TA's door saying, hold on a minute, your processes aren't good enough. And then TA goes, well, well, hold on a minute, I'm getting them late from, from fund accounting, your fund accountant. So you, you go and see your fund accountant. And all of a sudden, you've got to go back through the entire process to find out that actually my price feed's coming in late every day. And that's that's impacting the, the issue of prices. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to understand in that in that operating model. Um, plus you might have outsourced it across different out, um, providers as well. Yes, uh, almost everybody has more than one TA and more yeah. than one fund account and, and often more than one custodian. So yeah. complexity is multiplied, I guess, uh, across providers and jurisdictions. Yeah. Now, another thing that's changed since we last had a serious visit from the regulator on this issue back in 2012-2013 is back then outsourcing was basically the custodian would come along and lift out your entire back and middle office, yeah. uh, put it onto their platform, in theory anyway, if not in practice. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, and so you, you, you literally, uh, um, you were in a closed architecture you were on their platforms and, and they were in charge and they liked it that way and yeah. hadn't possibly thought through how risky that was. Now we are moving towards a more open architecture. State Street is the most obvious instance of, of an organization that's gone in that direction with its with its alpha platform. So you can you can work with whatever systems you you prefer, what order management portfolio management systems you, you like. Now do you think that approach reduces operational risk or do you think it possibly increases it? Uh, probably a bit of both, um, because obviously, you know, the you've got control. So you, you've you've selected that provider. So you've got control over that. Um, you know what you've you've purchased. You've got somebody else operating it. I think where the the challenge comes is if you've got somebody operating your your systems, um, and they take on other providers, which you've got different systems. Where do you get that synergy? Where do you get that, you know, as you want to improve things, you know, where do you stand in the pecking order of, of being able to make those improvements against other clients on that platform? Um, and you don't, you don't get the benefit of that, that group, group development. So if, if one client's got a problem and they're on one system and you've got another client that's got a similar problem, but they're on a different system, you know, you've not got that benefit of that, that cost advantage of when they do, when the supplier does the development, they do it for all clients. So spreads spreads lower than the cost. So 
there's there's some pros and cons there I can see, um, and it it would very much depend on the the relationship between the um, the investment house and the the provider as to to how well that how well that works. Now you said a minute ago that one reason the uh, the FCA and the Bank of England are not pushing aggressively uh, on the um, consequences of, of, of the consultation they've run this year is because they don't want to, they recognize there are cost pressures uh, as a result of the pandemic and so on. Yeah. But if, if you were, as you are advising uh, organizations in this area, clearly some investment needs to go into, into operational resilience. Is it, is it possible that there is a kind of return? Can you make out a case for investing in operational resilience on, on grounds that there is a return on, on operational investments, or, or is this just all risk-reducing cost? I think I think there is. I think that the, the the more you're you're resilient and your your systems function and, and talk to one another, um, and you understand that architecture and the ability to to change. I think that that's that's an area that gets overlooked quite a lot and when we talk about this as you make those improvements and you understand your operating model in in detail that actually improves your operational um, resilience but it also improves your operational um, uh, performance as well so you become effective and efficient by by making those improvements and I think that's where the, the benefit lies. The more you can streamline processes, make it resilient, understand it, then as you as you progress down that, that route, I think you'll get a payback from, from the savings you make in in um, uh, either cost reduction because you don't need quite so many staff operational efficiency because you can pump more through it so you you're you're making those improvements is there is there ever a case for a wholesale change of your your technology platforms and i guess the reason i ask you that is, is because there are clearly operational risks in continuing to patch up existing legacy systems and adding bits to them and pulling a bit out here causes effects over there and so on but at the same time if you were to say well actually uh, this fintech from Shoreditch has persuaded us that if we throw away all our existing systems and move on to this new platform we're going to massively reduce our costs and reduce our risks and make ourselves more resilient where, where do you where do you stand on that spectrum you know what part is digital technology playing in in reducing modern digital technology playing in reducing or increasing operational risk and resilience I think at the individual system level, an, an awful lot. So they, that you know, as he said, uh, when we were discussing earlier, that, you know, on COVID, we couldn't have done what we've done this year, even probably five years ago. It, it wouldn't, it, we wouldn't have had that bandwidth to be able to do that. So I think there's been a, a huge advance in, in the technology and the robustness of technology um, to, to, to run organizations. The, 
I think the challenge is if you wanted to make a wholesale change is how you'd go about it. So how would you, how would you untangle your current system architecture um, to move on to, to one central platform? Um, plus you're, you're putting all your eggs in one basket as, as well. So that's, you've got to balance up that, that risk and um, you know who would be the the first mover so you know that first is that first mover advantage or is that actually first mover actually the the industry is just sitting there waiting to pick up the pieces because it doesn't work so it, it I think it's quite a risky proposition it would have to be very very robust and very tested um, I think for for any um corporation to to select select that nobody wants to be the next tsb no yeah but, but on the other hand it, it seems an attractive option to to build a whole new platform which reduces the marginal costs of what you're doing significantly and then gradually mm -hmm. migrate the clients onto it uh but i guess the, the tsb experience has put the kibosh on that for the foreseeable future anyway yeah and and something i wrote i raised um or years ago, I always made this comment. You know, I'm I'm back from the old school days of the the, the London Stock Exchange and the CSP and 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 looking at that model. And I'm not suggesting we go back to the old school. But what I'm saying is, it, it was almost you had you had these central utilities, and if if we wanted to remove cost and risk, and and actually spread that risk. You know, if you took something like fund accounting, um, and my analogy there is if you go and stand up and take a flight to Edinburgh, once once you're allowed to fly again, um, and stand in the guile and look around, you know, you've got the likes of HSBC and JP Morgan, et cetera. And they all do the, the same thing in exactly the same way to exactly the same standards and to exactly the same set of regulations. You know, if we, if we wanted to remove cost and, and risk, Will just make it a utility, produce it once. Um, you know, and I, I, I get a lot of pushback on that of people saying, "Well, you know, my fund's different, but most funds, you know, you cut an av, that that's it. It's as simple as that." So, you know, there are different there are different options that could be looked at to to remove that to remove risk in different ways. It doesn't always have to be one organisation somehow winning the technology battle. There, there, there's probably some other options out there. But centralized utility versus distribu distributed uh, services is a sort of a very live debate these days or well, since, since blockchain came along anyway. Yeah. Um, the view is that you have no single point of failure anymore because everybody has a copy of the same thing and it's on dozens of nodes across this network. Yeah. as opposed to all your eggs being in one basket and guarding the basket very carefully. Have your views changed as a result of distributed financial technology or not? Um, I don't know. What, what, what would you give as an example of that? I'm thinking that if uh, you, if you had a, a single utility, for example, doing fund accounting for JP Morgan, yeah. HSBC and so on, uh, but instead of doing it in one centralized platform, uh, 
you, 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 these things were, the exercise was repeated continuously across multiple yeah. platforms. So everybody had a copy of, of the nav. So if one of these nodes fell over, we still had the nav and you'd never, yeah. you'd never be short of something to publish in the newspaper. Yeah, I, I, I think that that would, that would potentially work. It's just whether that, that duplication gives you um, the, the, the sort of operational efficiency that you're looking for, for from a cost point of view. So mm -hmm. does that duplication come at a cost? Um, and can you can you minimize that? Well, you face the question whether it's being to be done fast enough as well. Yeah. That's the other issue. Just one one, one final question, um, Chris, just looking at everything you've you've worked on over the last 20 years, for example. What do you think is and you've you've been very eloquent about how the COVID-19 experience has actually been quite encouraging. Uh, it shows that we have made some progress in operational resilience uh, even over the last five years. But what do you think is the, what would be your prediction as the, as the biggest operational risk which firms face now? I think it is actually people and the, the knowledge. Um, you know, we touched on it earlier on the, the senior management regime. You know, if something goes wrong, who do you who do you rely on? Who actually understands that overall operational process? And I think for for people coming into the industry straight from university, I think I think it's very difficult for for those those people to actually get a good grounding on how the end to end process works, because it's either you know, we went through the outsourcing, you know, we outsourced to, to Dublin, then we outsourced, then it moved to Poland and then it moved to India. And I think some has even come back and each, there's a bit of Chinese whispers in there as to, as it goes through, how much knowledge gets lost. Um, okay. And then on, because everything is a black box and technology is as good as it is, there's very little visibility on how anything actually works and then the way organizations are, are structured both from you know the the investment investment side and the, the operational suppliers everything's salami sliced so every process is is only a very small you only actually focus on a very slim area of that process so nobody actually has the full picture and, and I think there needs to be some, some more investment in those the younger people coming in to, to how, do we, how do we train them up so that they actually understand how every, every component works. And I've, you know, I've, seen, I've seen things happen. You know, um, one organization, if I'm gonna say, it, it, was a, it was a private equity trade and nobody knew when the when they'd executed the trade even. And that, that hadn't even touched the system yet. They hadn't realized that when they signed the, the application form, they'd entered, a, they'd entered a trade, not at the point the, the first drawdown was done. So you get to, you've, we've got to build that knowledge up and that understanding of how things work. And to my earlier example, um, of the, the sort of the TA issue in the price. You know, how many people in your organization actually understand that process? Or even something even more, more straightforward. You know, 
if you went into an organization and said, um, broker executes a trade or investment manager executes a trade, tell me how it gets from them through custody, through, through the CSD, how's it mapped how, and, and where's the recon how's the reconciliation done? I think you'd find it, I think at the moment, you'd find that very difficult to find that many people that could actually explain it to you, which is, you know, yeah, maybe 20 years ago, you wouldn't have had any problem. So I, th I think that's that's where we've we've got that disconnect. Mm -hmm. And I guess you're not everyone who's who's running a global custodian bank has has ever settled a trade, actually, which was maybe 20, 25, 30 years ago. Most people had they'd come up and understood yeah. the business in immense detail like that. Uh, I'm not sure how we fix that, um, uh, Chris, but perhaps you'll never be able to retire. <laughs> uh, that's the, the only answer you'll be um mentor to generations of, of new entrants into the industry for the next 30 years so i hope you've got lots of energy left but thank, thank you. you very much for, for for joining us it's been a, it's been a great discussion and um see you very soon i hope thank you very much bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.